Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, my name's Nigel Hardiman. I've uh, been involved in the advertising game for probably 30 odd years now and shot major campaigns all around the world for all the major OEMs. Um, I'd be very surprised if you haven't seen my work on billboards in New York, LA, London, Paris, Milan. I could carry on, but it'd be boring. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know who I am? The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Driven Chat Podcast. My name is John Marker. I'm sat in a room opposite... Is Amy Shaw. Hello, this is me. Hey. <laughs> Once again, I'm throwing you off by either not introing you or not knowing how you're going to intro yourself. I never know. I, I panic slightly and watch your face and then I'm like, oh, it's me. It's my go. <laughs> <laughs> this, is my, this is where I talk and say my name. Uh, Amy and I are sat in a rather beautiful kitchen in a rather beautiful part of the world. And we are joined this week, as you've just heard from the intro, Mr. Nigel Harneman. Hi, hey, Nigel. Hello. Hi there, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> Very well. How are you? Very good, sun's shining today, it's a bit sun's frosty. glorious, yep. we are recording this on a day where uh, it is bitterly cold, minus, I think it was minus eight when I set off this morning, mm-hmm. um, middle of December, it's, yeah, it's a cold day, but we've ended up in this beautiful part of the world, um, not too far from the kind of Midlands, where, where are we, sort of Worcestershire, Shropshire, yeah. that, that neck yeah. of the woods, and it's glorious, very close to Shelsley Walsh. Yes, and um, a beautiful team valley. Yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous here, and the and the ice is making everything beautiful. So hopefully that's uh, for the... Um, We've painted you a picture. Painted you a picture. For the, uh, what is it they, <laughs> they say? Uh, theatre of the mind. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, theatre of the mind is, where, is what we try to 
put into people's heads of here's what you can imagine. But this is a very visual podcast as well because, Nigel, I mean, as we've heard from the intro, you are a photographer. Yes, <laughs> been for many years, yeah. And as the old cliche goes, more years than I care to remember. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just kind of wind it right back to the beginning then. Have you always been a photographer for a start? Yes. Okay, since what, 16 years old, you left school, became a photographer? What, tell, how, how did it start? Okay, how, it's, um, how it, it started? Was Why? it cars or photography first? That's another question. Oh, well, it was motorbikes first. Really? Mm. Yeah, but I wasn't allowed a motorbike because <laughs> they're dangerous apparently, but I'm still here. Um, but yes, yeah, so my dad bought me a camera. I had no interest in photography at all. What really? sort of agey then? I was 15. Okay. But um, yeah, I had a motorbike around a friend's garage, which my dad didn't know about. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but yeah, so um, dad bought me a, bought me a camera. Um, dad was an engineer-ish type of thing. And uh, he, you know, it was all cool and dandy. So I started doing A-levels and did started that, that sort of route and thought after a year of A-levels, this is really boring. So how can I get wind my dad up? I know I'll go to art school. <laughs> Being an engineer, wouldn't understand that in the slightest, and neither did I at the time, but that was all fine. It was, you know, what you do when you're full of stupid ideas. <laughs> so yeah, I went to art college and, and sat looking out of a window for the next four years, really, <laughs> which was great fun. Um, so, yeah, I did art college. Uh, ended up in Plymouth at Plymouth College of Art Design. Left that in 80... When was that? 88, that would be. Mm -hmm. At this point in your life, what did you think you were going, going to end up doing? Well, once I'd gone, made the decision that I wanted to do something... Um, I'd, I'd been quite... I'd been clay sculptures and things at in, 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 you know, secondary school and things, and I'd quite enjoyed all that. So it was kind of interesting on how, how that all sort of came about and you know, picking up a camera and going into the photography side of things was just an extension of that sort of artistic bent that I had. So I, I sort of picked up that camera, went off to art college. reason I did that was because I just thought it was easy, really. Pick up a camera and off you go. <laughs> you know, and it, and it was. Um, so I came out of university thinking, well, you know, or art college, thinking, well, what do I want to photograph? Um, so I nipped up to London, as we used to do in the day, and, and, and try and found the best photographers I could assist. Hmm. Um, got uh, joined the Association of Photographers, as it was then. Well, it wasn't actually then, it was AFAP then, then it changed to the Association of Photographers. Uh, got on the booking list um, and started working for, or freelancing for the, uh, the best photographers who wanted to, you know, use my freelance services. And that's how I got into it. So initially, were you like lighting? Were you tea making? What was your kind of your, your first jobs? Oh, right. Well, you know, I had a, had a list of five guys I wanted to work for. And they were quite well known in, the, in that goldfish bowl of London advertising. Because I, I, I wanted to do advertising type of work. Mm -hmm. um, and back in the 80, late 80s, early 90s, advertising was... I was saying, know. huge budgets. It's really exciting projects to be able to work Oh, yeah, in. we had some fun. Yeah, had a lot of fun. I could tell you. I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> but anyway, so um, so yeah. So I, I, there's a chap called Alan Brooking who was quite well known back in the day. He was the guy who did the black and white pregnant man thing back in the seventies. Okay. Um, anyway, so I phoned this chap up called Alan Brooking, and everybody phoned Alan Brooking up. Everyone phoned Claridge up. Everyone phoned Bob Miller up. Everyone phoned Rob Grovgovitz up. Everyone phoned Jake Wallace up. You know, they would they would go to people if you wanted to do some interesting stuff. There was lots of people, mm. but in the day. So anyway, so I found Alan Brooker. I said, um, I'd like to, you know, would you take some time to come see? He said, come, yeah, come see me. And he had a, he had a, had a flat um, right opposite the Oval Cricket Ground. Was it the Oval Cricket Ground? Yeah, it was the Oval Cricket Ground. 
Which, which is the one that's north of north of the Thames? There's two, isn't there? There's one. Um, no, the over well, south thing. Over, over yeah, south, over south. And, that's and, like, the, and uh, north one Kennedy. is Lords. Lords. Yeah. How can I not know that? I don't know. How do, how do I know that? It yeah, should well. be the question, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, about as much about cricket as I yeah. do about bricklaying. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I went up to his, his apartment overlooking Lord's Cricket Ground, and he said, yeah, it's great, you can come along on a shoe. Yeah. He said, but the only way you're going to learn is if I don't put any pressure on you. So you don't even have to load film, you don't have to do anything. Okay. He said, so you, there's a studio shoot next week, come along and lean on a broom. <laughs> Make some coffee and lean on a broom. Interesting. So I was like, yeah, that's no pressure. That's really wonderful. Yeah, because the minute you get pressure, suddenly you're panicking, you're not yeah. absorbing anything, yeah. you're just, yeah. And I'd, I'd think almost the opposite way. I'd think if I was in that position almost, you, know, you hear stories of you know, the apprentice has to go through the test, you have to see if they're cut out for it, mm. apply the pressure, jump in at the deep end, all that sort of stuff. But yeah. clearly that was, the, that was not the approach. Not the approach. No, wow. it was like, just, you know, if you're going to learn, do it this way. Yeah. So I said, just lean on a broom. If there's nothing to do, sweet. <laughs> you know, you don't yeah. feel like you've, there's not enough coffee to make, mm. and it was great. So yeah, that was that was kind of the the first road into that. And then well, obviously I got talking to Alan. Alan said, "Make mine's Claridge, you know, John Claridge, make Claridge, have a go." And, and as soon as I got one person to work off of, mm. you know, I then said, "Okay." Well, I was, up, I was up with you know Alan the other day, and he said, "Give you a ring. Can I come give you a ring? Can you know? Do you need any second assistance or even third assistant freelancer?" Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you were freelance, there was no real. You know, you're in and out, basically. Mm. So I freelanced in London for as, as many of the best photographers I could get my hands on or would employ me. You know, some of them didn't. Mm. Like, yeah, I'll tell you another story about that in a bit. Note this down, John. Note this down. I've seen that down. Yeah, yeah. Well, OK, we'll cut straight to the chase. Uh, <laughs> I went for an interview with some, some, some chap called Charles March back in the day because he had a photo- yeah, yeah. F45. Anyway, um, I didn't get the job because we spoke. We spent two and a half hours talking about motorbikes and nothing about photography, and that was <laughs> yeah. the end of that. So I wasn't really showing much interest in photography. I showed more interest in motorbikes. Well, it wasn't my fault because I'd pulled up outside. Mm-hmm. I had a brand new VFR 750 at the time, and Charles came out and thought, oh, that's a really nice motorbike. I've got some nice motorbikes. Do you want to talk about these? And then look at his Ducatis. <laughs> um, so that was, that was the end of that. I didn't get the job. I think Paul Lund got the job in the end because it was quite entertaining. <laughs> Um, he but, did because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to him last week about this yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he got the job but that was no bad thing because you know straight after not getting that position um, a chap called uh, Jake Wallace phoned because I was on the freelance AFAP list mm-hmm. yeah. and the people used to phone into AFAP and say have you got any good assistance there was an A, B and a C list and I managed to get myself straight on the A list because wow. of friends of friends of friends and um, yeah there was about five or six Photographers, that, oh, not photographers, five or six top line assistants. And we used to get all, all the plum jobs. Wow. So, what year? Stuff. Let's put a year on this. It's early 90s. That would have been 89, 90, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I love the idea. You know, I love thinking back to, bearing in mind, a lot of our listeners are kind of below 30, a lot below 20, even. So, the concept of life without internet is quite a alien idea but thinking back mm. to that time with that phone list you you have a phone number that you call have you got any good assistance yeah let me look through this catalogue of people whereas of course now there's probably five mobile apps you can download immediately yeah. that can offer your services out as a freelancer in any industry yeah it's i, I trying to work out if if it was a better world or a, a more complex world i guess for you it obviously worked yeah it was hard work um i mean yeah, well, Wimbledon. We used to live in Wimbledon, and, mm. and most of the most of the sort of day to day freelance stuff was around sort of um, EC One. 
Uh-huh. Uh, AFAC were based, or Associated Photographers were based in EC1 in Domingo Street. Magnum were there, did some work for Magnum, they were good guys. Um, And uh, you just basically drove up from Wimbledon on on the motorbike and basically found a red box, loaded 10 P's, just started making phone calls. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, before pages, before (laughs) mobile phones, you know, and you made phone calls. And if somebody said, oh, yeah, pop round, you were in the area. Oh, you're free at the moment? Yeah, I'll pop round. Brilliant. You know, let's go have a coffee, let's talk, and, you know, make, make sure you haven't got three heads and you could actually load some film. Mm. And that would be how, you know, I got a lot of contacts. So when you first did that, were the days that you'd go to your phone box and then nobody would take the, the, the bait and then say, oh, off yeah. you go, so... Yeah, yeah, be you'd go back home again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, there was no point, there's no point sitting in Wimbledon um, and some say, oh, yeah, I've got 10 minutes, are you, are you in the area? Because mm-hmm. it'd take you 45 minutes, an hour... To get in from Wimbledon, huh. even on the even on the district line, yeah, yeah, you know. So, um, yeah, it was it was the only way to do it, really, to be on the spot, to be where it was happening. So, at what point did it get to where you had the camera in your hand and you were the photographer with the assistance? Okay, well, what happened was obviously it's not obvious at all, but um, as you as you worked your way through the process, you're always aiming to be a proper photographer. Mm-hmm. I say proper photographer, but you know. Um, you start buying your own kit, you start doing your own thing, and you then start being able to do um, quite competently some of the jobs that, you're, that, that, that the people who are getting the jobs are yeah. asked to do. So I worked for this guy called Chris Simpson, and Chris Simpson was a fantastic fan, um, fashion slash landscape photographer. Now, Chris um, uh, phoned me up. He, he had a place in Fulham and phoned me up and said, you know... Um, do you know anything about cars? And I'm like, of course I know things about. Mm. I know lots about cars. Um, he said, because I'm, I'm, I'm fashion, you know, high-end fashion and well-known and landscape. He said, but I've, I've been asked to shoot this uh, billboard f- Fiat campaign mm-hmm. in a studio. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. This is going to be fun. Um, so I said, yeah, I, I can, I can, I can help you out with that. I can help you light a car in a studio. I can, and I, what I didn't think was I'd, I'd be doing it yeah. <laughs> yeah but lighting a car in a studio is is not just waving a light around it's, it's no. a little bit more and up to this point how many cars had you photographed oh I'd photographed myself I'd no well actually I'd, I'd worked on hundreds and hundreds of days of car photography working Fine. for other freelancing yeah in terms of the assistant mm. yeah but obviously as you go from as used to be the system third assistant to second assistant to first assistant yeah you know um that process had gone on for five years six years okay so now I've been assisting, and really I've seen everything I need to see. Of course, yeah. And I've bought my own kit, 5.4 kit, 5.4 you know, cameras, <laughs> um, and they were old Sinar Norma. And, um, yeah, I had all this kit, and Chris said, you know, can you, can you do some stuff? I said, yeah, sure, I can do some stuff. Um, so we, we lit, this, lit this car on 10.8 mm-hmm. in a studio, Black Eye Studios, it was all Black Horse um, in uh, South East 16. And um, that car shot, and it went up on the billboards, and great, that was it. Chris was all in, you know. Um, he got some more car work. Um, there was a lot of uh, black and white, blue tone, cheap stuff. Um, so there was lots and lots and lots of, uh, of, of location work, which took us to the States, took us all over the States. Um, but, yeah, he did a lot of that stuff. Uh, and that was, There was a lot of interesting things that happened on those shoots. Um, but yeah, they were they were good fun. They were good days. 
such as such as uh, <laughs> renting renting buffalo for a shot, <laughs> renting a grizzly bear for a shot that went mad. <laughs> you ever seen a grizzly bear stand on its back leg when it's not happy? No. You don't want to be around uh, it. I tell you. No, and I can't imagine there are many that have. <laughs> no, no. I'd How many of our listeners are going? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're big, and then when they stand up, they're even bigger. Yeah. Did you get the shot? Uh, well, we were we were somewhere. Where was it? Outside of Reno. And um, we had this grizzly bear and this jeep parked up, and this grizzly bear came on the back of a, a, a pickup. With a, you know. <laughs> it's a well-known grizzly bear. It's been in oh, what was that? It was, it was a seventies TV show. It was that grizzly bear. Oh, that, I, yeah, I, I've, yes, I've seen little clips of the of the TV show. Yeah, like and, yeah. and I can't remember grizzly. Yeah, I can't remember what it was called. But anyway, it was that grizzly bear. So we got it up from LA in right. on, you know, with this trainer and stuff. <laughs> Hilarious it was. Anyway, so. Um, Chris was shooting it, and I think um, Brian Stewart was the art director, or was it Richard? Richard Prentice, I can't remember. Anyway, um, so, yeah, uh, we're working away, and there'd been some heavy rain and stuff, and they were clearing the the railway tracks over the way, and uh, the bear had been out, and we'd done a sort of line-up shot and things and bits and pieces, doing pre-light and all that sort of thing. And fortunately, the bear had been put back in its holding so we, I would, don't like to call it a cage, but it was it was big. Crate. Crate, yeah. Well, it, it was massive. Um, and then the people who were cleaning the railway lines let off a load of dynamite to blow <gasps> the side of the hill away. The bear <gasps> went nuts. Oh, bet he did. Absolutely nuts. Mm. And it was scary to see. Panicked. Wow. Wanted to leave, but obviously it was in this thing. And it was... Uh, so, yeah, so that was... Then what happened was basically we said to the train, can we come back tomorrow because this is a write-off today. He said, absolutely no way we're ever bring the bear back here because he'll remember the location. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And so we had to go and do it somewhere else. Huh. You wow. know, so that was that. Was that. Um, but yeah, we had some fun. We had some fun doing that and then, yeah, carried on from there. So, and because obviously I was doing a lot of the, shall we say, the lifting work, shall we say, um, and it was... Chris was more of the creative in mm. terms of being the um, uh, art directional side of things and mm. not the technical side of things. The creative directors from these agencies eventually turned around and said, well, actually, no, you bring your portfolio in. <laughs> you know, OK, I'll do that at some point. Not, I was never overtly trying to, you know, mm. tread on anybody's yeah. toes. Um, so that was Delaney Fletcher Bozell back in the day and the creative director there was Brian Stewart. Um, but again, we were on another Chris Simpson job in the Bonneville Salt Flats um, for Ford Galaxy. So travelling first class, I think was the phrase, or the tagline. And Did you get to travel first class there? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was back in the day. We really are talking about big budget advertising yeah. here, aren't we? My I went to career recently first class. That was quite nice. Wow. Oh my goodness. I think yeah, it was. was quite fun. But anyway, so I go back to, we go back to 94 or was it 96? I can't remember now, but... Yeah, go back to the full Galaxy launch, which mm-hmm. was travel first class. We'd done all the shots. We'd been out there six weeks, um, travelling from LA through to um, this place called Paris, north of Bonneville Salt Flats. <laughs> right. Tiny little place, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. But anyway, um, we were coming back and Chris was jumping on the plane at Salt Lake City. And I thought, well, I'll just spool back. The, the RV had to be taken back to LA, which is no short drive. Mm. No. Not from the Bonneville Salt Flats. And I said, I'll take it back, Chris. So that was fine. I was getting paid. Mm-hmm. That's fine. So I go back to um, um, take the creative director, a guy called Sam Herford, um, back to Bonneville Salt Flats. And Sam says, look, we're doing some lineups for the TV commercial. Why don't you just 
bring some 35 mil out and just do some snaps. I said, so okay, I did. So I ended up going out on the Bonneville Salt Flats with, um, with the TV, TVC crew and did some snaps, literally just, mm-hmm. you know, run and gun snaps. Lightning storm came down. Brilliant light. Wow. Fantastic light, perfect reflection. Just 20 minutes, three rolls of film, yeah? <laughs> and Sam said, well, just bring them back to me. When, when you're back in London, you know, get them processed up, bring them back, and we'll see, what, see what's what. Mm. So um, I said, okay, that's great, let's do that. So I did that, processed them up, and they came back, and um, Sam showed them to Ford, and Ford said, can we use these as press ads? Wow. Well, not a bit more than that. Can we use them as billboard ads across <laughs> Europe? Oh, oh nice. 96-sheet <laughs> billboard ads across Europe wow. for one year. Right, so I know the usage on that would be incredible. That mm. was a nice check. Oh, it was, yeah. <laughs> it was, so very was that your first big payout? Oh, yeah. And almost, you know, I feel selfish saying accidentally, because obviously it's, yeah. it involves your skill and your eye, and yeah. fortunate with you know, perhaps the lighting storm and, and whatever, but mm. effectively it's, it's your creative eye, it's your input, and suddenly... Yeah. For yeah. something you've not even pitched, you know, even said, yeah, give me the opportunity to shoot it. They said, do you fancy going to do it? And there you are with this big check. So was that? Do you think that was the first kind of light bulb moment of, oh, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm quite good at this then? Yeah, well, I never, to be honest, I never thought I was quite good at it. <laughs> I just thought it's just what you do. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because it all, it's quite, it's quite funny, isn't it? Because I mean, it, it's, I always look at the world as goldfish bowls. Mm. You know, you can take. I mean, interestingly. It's not interesting at all, but I, we all live in goldfish bowls in my head. Mm-hmm. Inside our goldfish bowl, there's famous people, mm-hmm. and there's not so famous people. And there's uh, Now, my goldfish bowl is quite small, mm. but I always look up to who's the best in the goldfish bowl. Right. So when I look at the global level of photographers or whatever, and you can always go, well, he's better at this, he's better at that, he's better at this, and he's better at that. And you never really think of yourself as being you know, at the top of the goldfish bowl. Mm. Because if you look at your goldfish bowl, you've always then got something to aspire to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I never thought to myself, well, I'm not good. It's just, yeah, it, if you're always looking upwards, mm. then you've always got room to improve. So, yeah, so I never really thought about it, really. So I just cracked on, um, then picked up some Jeep work. Um, and then, uh, I say it sounds simple, really. And then uh, <laughs> met Jill, my other half, um, came to Birmingham for a little bit, bumped into an agency called Wallace Tomlinson whose creative director was absolutely nuts. Total alcoholic. Oh, wow. Brilliant laugh. Brilliant guy. Um, Jeff Tomlinson, obviously Wallace Tomlinson, he was the creative director there. And we did um, press ads for, for Subaru. Not, yeah, for Subaru. Did all, most, quite a few of the press ads in the 90s for the Subaru in mm-hmm. pretzels and things. Wow. Um, yeah, did loads of stories about that. We had loads and loads of fun doing the pretzels and the, the Subarus and all that stuff. Uh, there's a couple of young creators in there who really gelled with John and uh, yeah, John and Rich are still friends today, and um, so that was that. And then what happened then? And then a small company won some Land Rover stuff. Yeah, so it's a campaign or brochure work as it used to be mm-hmm. in Bristol. And then we basically travelled the world with Land Rover, launching Freelander um, back in the day. That gives you a date, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. So it does, went to Namibia, yeah. did all that stuff for that there. Um, did lots of stuff with Land Rover for about a period of five years till the agency lost the account, uh, which was a shame. But yeah, we had a great time doing that. We had some great fun in South Africa and all over the place. Had some real adventures with that lot. Um, what happened then? Um, so we did that, did the Ford stuff. Uh, Bentley came along. 
Um, so uh, a friend, an agency, came along and said, can you help us with the pitch for Bentley campaign? I'm like, we're never going to win this. We're <laughs> a small provincial thing. But it was just after they were sold. Yeah. So I said, okay, then. So Ian, a guy called Ian Bolter and, uh, and, and his partner Martin said, look, can you help us with the pitch? So I said, yeah, I'll come and help you with the pitch. So um, I said, yeah, let's have, let's, have, let's have a look at this. So we went up to Bentley and pitched for, to launch um, the new, what was then, Bentley Continental. Okay, so the first Volkswagen Audi Group Continental. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, so with Raoul as the designer. Yeah, yeah. So we went to uh, Styling Gardens, which is more like a concrete bunker. <laughs> yeah, and Raoul rolled out this, 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 this thing which didn't have any steering or suspension or anything, but mm. it was wheels yeah. and, a, and a body shell. We photographed it in the, uh, in the Styling Garden and then stripped that into some Tuscan landscapes I'd shot for Peugeot. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was great. And then that, it just went nuts after that. Crikey. It just went absolutely nuts. Um, I had agents in LA, Detroit, Paris, Milan, uh, London, obviously, uh, and work was just all over the place. You know, I'd be just absolutely mad. So that was great. So, yeah, off the back of the Bentley stuff, um, Things went mad. Uh, the agency kept it for five, six years, something like that. And as in all of these things, you know, new agencies come in. Mm-hmm. Don't want to use the old stuff. Yeah. New broom. Of course. You get, you know, that's what, the way it works. Yeah. You know, nothing's forever, you know. Um, so that was that was great. But off of that, it went mad in the States. I used to spend, uh, I used to spend possibly from September to Christmas Eve, most years, shooting in LA. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and fly back on Christmas Eve. It's all done. It's great. It's amazing. <laughs> so obviously, this the, the automotive side came along, and that was a, a big boom for you. Clearly, you were mm. seen as an automotive specialist. But if it hadn't have happened, if it hadn't have been cars, do you think where do you think you most likely would have been? What or what would you have been focusing on? What would be your subject of interest? Well, I think I, I, I'd also when I was freelancing in in London, uh, I worked for a chap called Martin Black who used to do U Magazine. Mm-hmm. Now back in the day, and people photography, and he and he um, really nice, really nice chap, really quiet bloke, but loved doing his editorial things. And editorial's great because it's what you see, it's what you get. I love it all. It's you know, it's 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 less organised. Become a lot more organised with car photography these days, like mm. more prescriptive, especially when there's so many stakeholders. Yeah. Um, and that's the way car photography is these days. Um, so what would I have done? I've probably gone down the editorial route. Mm. Because it it's it 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 it's fun. You get to meet a lot of people. I mean, we met Bill Gates. We photographed Bill Gates. Nice. Really? Yeah, right. when he was launching three point one windows. That <laughs> just shows you how old I am. <laughs> so yeah, we were invited along to the Wardorf Hotel to meet Bill Gates. That was a laugh. Um, who else? We did. Uh, funny enough, about a week later, we did Alan Sugar. Nice. Uh, that was quite entertaining. But we've met some really nice people, you know. And I would probably ended up doing people. Mm. You know, I mean, it's I still like photographing people. Mm. You know, I photograph a few people here and there. People, I mean, for example, we did a campaign um, for what as was GTB that was uh, had Mads Mikkelsen in it. Mm-hmm. Now, Mads Mikkelsen's the he's a Scandi baddie basically who was in Casino Royale for his. He's the guy who played poker and the blood running down. Yeah. Anyway, Ford had, had commissioned um, Jake Scott, who's Ridley Scott's son. Mm-hmm. Right, an RSA um, to produce an eight-minute film for the Ford Edge about three, four years ago. 
and we went along and um, yeah it was he was a really nice bloke to photograph had four days with him just hanging out in Croatia cool. photographing and he was dead he, I mean, it's, it's his job it's professional yeah you know and he just give me the look he went Come. <laughs> what should we do now what would you want to talk about cool beers over there let's go for beer all right Brilliant. but then it's, it is isn't it you know photographing photographing um should we call it non-professional actors or that mm. are far more difficult yeah far far it's all down to your emotional or their emotional response to a camera to, to being photographed. So, like, mm. even I don't know if you find it, Nigel, but like, I struggle to be photographed because I'm you're never you're so good at being able to chat to your subjects to be able to make them feel quite happy, but it's so much easier when you've got someone that's professional at doing it, you know, either actors, yeah. um, models. Like, I've shot David Gandhi, probably yeah. the easiest, easiest person to ever photograph because they're used to it, they know yeah. exactly what they're doing. You can photograph somebody who's beautiful, not. Not used to being photographed and they the, the images come back and you think oh they're not they're not the best or the minute you photograph somebody who doesn't care that they're being photographed like some old boys that i've shot i don't know if you find the same nigel mm. and the minute they don't care great shots because they're yeah. just they're not yeah they're not yeah. themselves they're not trying yeah you need either need to know how to do it well or don't try at all yeah. <laughs> so, which sounds yeah. harsh but at the same time it's the kind yeah. of how the, the images come across yeah, that's interesting. It is so true, though. It's yeah. they just relax. I mean, like I mean, you've photographed Sterling before we passed, yeah. obviously, and Sterling was just like, I don't care. Mm. Just yeah, what do you want? Okay, they're fine. And he'd just <laughs> chat away about something random, yeah. you know, and he'd yeah. be fine, you know. And yet there's other people who jump out of a car, and as soon as you get a camera on them, they just go, oh. yeah, like yeah. smile. Yeah. Well, then, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember talking. Uh, talking to a model model friend of mine who said the first few years of her modeling she found that she almost wanted to be in creative control of what the photographs were and you know she always wanted to review the shots and of course it's quite common that when you're in a studio have the photograph taken you have a look at the back of the camera or you have a look at the screen this is what you're looking like and she said for the first year or so of her career she was almost trying to correct every like, oh no I don't like that but it's the moment you realise the photographer actually knows what they're doing. It's it, you as the model of the subject. It's your face or your shape or your personality that's the reason we're doing this campaign. Mm. And it's us that spotted that. It's us that's recognised that as yeah. the professionals. Therefore, you, the minute you relax into that and go, oh, yeah, I am the accessory to this and they've picked me because of that, suddenly it all becomes normal. She said it was that point that you then just start to relax and go, they've got it. They know yeah. it. It might not be what I want to see, but it's what the project wants and therefore it yeah. works and of course everyone else in the world looks at it and goes oh wow look beautiful person in beautiful environment and they don't see the flaws that of course the, the model or we as the yeah, individual yeah, yeah. see yeah do you feel that over the years that you've done just thinking from that actually, mm. from over the years that you've done shooting uh for big commercial stuff have you had just as much control as you've always had over the images or do you feel you've got more control or less control as years have gone on and automotive advertising has changed Automotive advertising has changed, and there's two reasons for that. Now, um, back in the day, you'd very rarely work direct for a company. Mm. Um, you'd always go through an ad agency. Mm -hmm. So there was a system and a process. Okay, so that's still um, for campaign stuff. Now, we'll just separate off campaign from social. Mm -hmm. So historically, we spoke about earlier on PR, brochure work, above the line mm. and below the line. Mm -hmm. That's old terms. Forget those. They don't exist. So it's either social now or it's campaign work. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. Campaign work has lots of stakeholders. Um, we work quite a lot with Rolls-Royce, um, and we work quite a lot with the designers, and the designers have quite a lot of input these days. 
because you're working direct and the, and the route through to what the designer's thinking and what you have to then translate um, is quite small mm. and very controlled. Um, you put your creative spin on it, you get it done. But in, back in the day, you wouldn't you wouldn't be doing you wouldn't be talking to the designer, mm-hmm. and the designer wouldn't be trying to adjust the photographs in Photoshop the way he'd want to have the car looking. For example, pulling the wheels out, squashing mm-hmm. the car slightly, mm-hmm. doing X, making the nose shorter, doing this, doing that, doing the other, whatever. But seeing as you're talking to the car designers now, and this is how they see it in their head, yeah. then that's the way we'll, we'll make it. And that's great. Um, so you'll take the photograph, it'll be great. Oh, yeah, but the wheel's a little bit inboard there. Can we just pull it out a little bit to make it look mm-hmm. less inboard? You know, and things like that. And there's the sort of things you have to then do. Yeah. You know? So uh, say you have less control, more you have more control, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say more control. You have more input into the creative outcome of the shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're asked to do more creative. Um, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because back in the day, you had grids to work to. We used to shoot a heck of a lot of Renault. Um, heck of a lot of Renault. And they had a template that came from Paris, effectively, to fit the grids. And okay. the logo would be here. The type would be here. Yeah. And then you had to work out your A4 portrait. You had to portrait shots, your A4 shots. Then you had to make it work into a DPS. And then you had to make it work into a 96. Of course. Yeah. And you'd all shoot that on film. Yeah. You know, and so it was a different thing. So that's... It's technical and creative. So these days, it's basically plonk it in the middle, you know, mm. and that's the shame because you miss so many great shots by you know, compositions. By can we have it fit everything? Yeah. So course. now I have to shoot the, the bit in the middle mm-hmm. and then shoot a bit that side. See, bit now, that side. Now more than ever, it's it's more complex than it's ever been, isn't it? And I, I yeah. was speaking to guys recently who've been doing um, filming campaigns and saying how. Now, even even for video, for filming, you need to be able to fulfil every possible criteria as to where that might end up. And if you were to say to any uh, filmmaker, even five, ten years ago, oh, we need to film this, we need to make sure this works for 16 by 9 portrait, yeah. which, of course, <laughs> is an iPhone. Yeah. 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 It would have absolutely laughed you out of the room. You know, yeah. it, it was only a few years ago we used to shout at each other when we were filming videos vertically. Stop <laughs> filming vertically. Nobody wants to watch a vertical film. Well, now it's the complete opposite. Yeah. Everything yeah. is filmed vertically, and once in a blue moon, you might film something landscape if it's going to go on YouTube. Yeah. But, of course, everything's <clears> now this throwaway, film it, put it up, done, gone. So, mm. yeah, I find that fascinating back then that even, you know, that crib sheet, I like the idea of a crib sheet coming out of Paris for Renault going, make sure you get it this big, this big, this big. But now that crib sheet would be a book, wouldn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is massive. Yeah. Especially yeah. when they want to try and get it in, in one shot as well because that's yes. all they're paid for. So, like, I yeah, did a, yeah. a shoot recently and it was for the, the adverts, skinny, long, skinny adverts on yeah. the side of websites. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it was like, not kidding you, it was it was thinner and longer than, I think, two letterboxes whipped, like, side by side kind of wow. thing. Yeah. And, yeah. But this also had to fit slightly wider, slightly wider. And I thought, well, what, how on earth am I going to get a, a model and a, enough of a car in a width shot? I'm like, okay, what, which bit of the, the car's most important so mm. then you think okay is, is the headlight but then it's weird that the model sat on the floor like it's it's mm. so trying to yeah. figure that things those bits out I find quite difficult when it comes down to what the I mean it's quite fun at the same time because you are trying to figure out the problem and it's unpicking the problem yeah. and I suppose when you do commercial stuff as well it's nice that you have got other people to kind of like talk about with like commercial uh, creative directors and, and stuff like that whereas mm. when it is editorial you're kind of on your own, off you go. Yeah. But I quite like that as well. Yeah, I like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is good. It's, it's, it's a process and, you know, the teams that we, we have with us and, and you know, 
um, this side of the scale. But they, as you say, seventeen, you know, skyscrapers or letterbox or whatever those those formats they mm. are they are terribly difficult. Mm. Um, and ironically, um, if you shoot them in certain ways, you end up in massive files, mm. um, yeah. and they're going to be used in the smallest resolutions. Yeah. So. Yes, yeah. You end up sort of working against yourself. I mean, we did um, Backbone of Britain for Ford, um, and we did some lovely, lovely, lovely sort of pictures of people with their vans going yeah. around the UK, and there was this girl standing outside a flower shop in Fulham, and it was lovely, but it was such a pain because the location was tight. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the location and go, how did they? But it's like a shot from there to there, and the viewpoint is basically 120 degrees. Yeah. Wow. Right. You know, but the girl's in the middle of it because we then had to fit it into these letterbox. Gosh. Well, if you make a picture that that's that's wide, you're up to 40 gig. Not yeah. more, sorry, not 40 gig. Um, yeah, you're up to, to 40,000 pixels. Mm. And you're going, 40,000 pixels, where are you going to use it? Oh, a little letterbox. Yeah. <laughs> Which has yeah. to be small so it can load on everyone's yeah. screen yeah. and yeah. not slow down a website. Yeah, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. So 40K images, wow. yeah. Now, you mentioned Renault earlier, and I know that there's a big chapter to your work beyond just photography which is of course in that world of advertising and yes. I know I don't know the full story to this so I'm, I'm, I'm glad I can ask you this in person mm. uh, but we had a phone call probably a year or two ago in which you gave a, a quick overview of your some of the things you've done in your career mm. one of those being a particular campaign for Renault which now for me I can vividly remember this se sequence and series of adverts but it's for the Renault Clio yeah. And the campaign was Papa and Nicole. I'm going to look to Amy to see if you can remember yes. this. Because we are a similar age. You're a tiny bit younger than me. But I can so... I don't know why it sticks in my head so much. And it might be just because I would have videotaped something on the television and that advert would have been on it. And it would have been something I've watched again and again and again. Mm. But this is a campaign that ran through the 1990s. Mm. Did it go into the noughties as well? I, do you know, I, by that time, I think I was, I was... I don't think it did, actually. Because it, it almost it was. followed the story, didn't it? Of father yeah. and daughter, yeah. Papa and Nicole. Hmm. Nicole was bought a Renault Clio. And then as Nicole got older, further along in the 90s, she got her own car. And it was this beautiful story that continued. But you had quite a crucial involvement in that. Well, I'd say crucial. I was a freelance assistant with a really well-known <laughs> photographer. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely crucial. Well, yeah. obviously, yes. Yeah, yeah, but it was, no, it was, it was quite funny, really, because um, back in the freelancing days... Again, one of the guys that I'd like to work with because he travelled around the world quite regularly mm. photographing big campaigns. Uh, there's a guy called Jake Wallace, um, and Jake uh, was a great bloke, great bloke, bit of a maverick. Did like a beer now and again, <laughs> every day. Um, anyway, so we had a great time. But yeah, he he had the um, the the. The year of people who, in publicists, publicists mm. with the agency, Baker Street, London, back in the day, wow. and he'd he'd got the 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 job of shooting the campaign that was going alongside Nicole and Papa. Mm. So yeah, um, that's kind of that's kind of where that that came from. So yeah, we used to trip down to France and um, in his in his G Regland cruiser. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, well, he didn't drive. I drove and he flew. <laughs> Bless. But yeah, that was quite funny. That was quite the first. The first one's quite a funny story. It's not funny, but it is funny. Mm. It's funny. Um, the morning I'm supposed to be driving to, I think it was uh, where were we shooting at Avignon. That was it. Because um, there was a flower seller and a truffle hunter, and it mm. was that was the start of the, the thing. So um, Jake says, "Be at my place in Islington, eleven o'clock. You can take your time to get down to Avignon." So I say, yeah, "Okay, that's fine." So I had been out with my mates the night before and I jumped on my VNR, VFR um, in, in St. Evanage, 
yeah, which mm. is also known as Stevenage. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that glorious place. Um, so, yeah, I jumped on my VFR. Mate of mine, he was also heading to London. So he'd gone off in his car, and I, because I, I was on my motorbike, I thought, oh, anyway, I saw my mate in front of me. He was about 50 yards in front of me. So I came into this roundabout a little bit too quickly and then gave it too much going out and high sided. <gasps> oh, no. High sided straight, oh. into, straight, into, the, uh, straight into the fence. Oh, Bike no. kicked me in the chest. Oh, crikey. Yeah, straight off the hospital, scooped oh. up. Oh. Only just out, out cold, I scooped yeah. up off the hospital. Paul, mate of mine, came to the hospital. I came around in the hospital and said, I've got to get to I've got to get to Avignon. I've got signed myself out of hospital. Oh, <gasps> my word. Paul took me to Islington. <laughs> right. All, this is all in the same day. This is all in the same morning. Oh blind. Wow. It's all in the same morning. I turn up at Jake's place and I'm fine to drive to Avignon. Jumped in his Land Cruiser with concussion. Oh my <laughs> oh, goodness. Shot off down to <laughs> shot off down there. But yeah, that was that was quite entertaining. So yeah, and then we did the, the Nicole and Papa stuff for the, the the, the flower seller and the, the truffle hunter. But that was, that's how I got into Renault, basically, because, you know, well, I didn't get into Renault that way, but that's how they, they, you know, some of the people got to know me at Renault. And then, um, but yeah, one of the best things with Renault was, um, you remember the V6 Clear? Of course you remember the V6 Clear. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah the rear engine, rear engine. window maker, terrible thing to drive. Yeah, it felt like I had a hinge in the middle. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's the phrase. Brilliant idea, but absolutely yeah. awful in principle. I thought there's some, I, I read an article on it afterwards. In fact, there's a book around somewhere, but I, I'll see if Jill can find the book. But anyway, so Renault publicist, publicist Renault, London, not London, Paris, phoned up and said, mm. look, you know, we've got this, this new car, can't tell you about it, but can you be at the tyre test track in Montpellier? Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah? You'll be there for a week and we'll deliver a car to you. Do what you want mm-hmm. and come back. I'm like, fine, okay, I'll do that. So... Um, my French agent at the time said, yeah, yeah, I said, is this for real? There's no art direction, there's no nothing. And we've got a racetrack with a Renault car. No drivers, no nothing. Yeah, 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 just get down there. So, yeah, okay. And I had this carbon fibre thing rigged that used to hang off cars and yeah. make them look like they were moving and all that sort of stuff. So I hooked the trailer up and off we drove, me and John drove down there and turned up at this racetrack and booked into the hotel and stuff. And anyway, this, this weird-looking thing was on, rolled out the back of this car, this two-door sort of hyped-up sort of little sports car thing. And it was like, it was the Renault V6. Mm. It was the very, very, very first one. Right. And we had it for a week and we thrashed it around this track, just me and John. <laughs> but, yeah, took a whole load of pictures, of which they then started using them on billboards and posters again. Wow. So, yeah. That was great. So that was that was that was the V6 Clio. But yeah, and then we did a whole load of press ads for Publicist London in the nineties um, until it all got centralised back in Paris back in the early two thousands. Um, so yeah, that was Renault for you. But yeah, we did Renault as well. Forgot about Renault. Don't know why. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, no, it's um, it's been really good. Yeah. Amazing. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Are there any other big campaigns that really kind of stand out? The ones that our listener might be thinking at home and if you were just to mention it they go oh my god that was you because that's exactly what i did when i yeah, heard yeah, about yeah. the nicole and papa yeah thing. yeah the, the press size where that was it's just it's only the assistant on that but it led to other things yeah but um oh there's yeah what else i mean you know i could go on about loads of like car launches i mean we went to went to japan and had the very first um bug eye impreza <laughs> oh yeah yeah the very very first one and it was on a runway in North Island of Japan. Mm. Again, out there for three weeks, shooting that um, on closed airstrips and racetracks and goodness knows what. So if anybody's got an old Impreza uh, brochure, because it was brochure work back then, that was a brochure work anyway, um, or any of the press ads from that, um, yeah, that, that was all my work. Wow. Um, so, yeah, the Impreza, what else should we go into? Uh, what else I launched? Flying Spur. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the latest Spectre stuff in terms of the new Rolls Royce, the electric car. Of course, seen yeah. any of that? That's all mine. Um, but we did Cadillac in the US. We did Audi in the US. We did Honda in the US. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the stuff you wouldn't have seen. We did Honda in Europe. Did all the Accord stuff that was up on the billboards. Uh, and we did lots of Vauxhall stuff that had been up on the billboards. All the VRX stuff back in the two thousand. Where do you want to go? You wow. know. Well, yeah. I mean, of all of these achievements, was, was there like one that you thought I've made it now? I actually feel like I've made it. Well, the one I enjoyed the I'd say enjoyed the most was um, because it was it was the end of the end of the rig era, which was two thousand and five, two thousand and four, something like that. Simply because technology made it a lot easier to do than strap a dirty great big carbon fibre rig on a car <laughs> yeah. and take two tons of gear halfway around the world, which is what we used to do. Wow, you know. Um, we used to fly the rig to LA or we flew it to Japan, we flew it all over the place. Mm. Um, the the one that I enjoyed the most and got the best picture was the was the Vauxhall VRX stuff up in the Alps. Mm. You know, it was just just we were allowed to distort the car, we were allowed to go low, we were allowed to do whatever we wanted to do just to make this car look boy racer. You yeah. know, and so we did that whole VRX stuff back in the oh, what year would that be? Two thousand and four? Two thousand three? I don't know, somewhere back there, but oh, yeah. Later than that, a VRX Corsa or uh, the whole VRX range. Oh, I see. Oh, yeah. So maybe a bit earlier. Yeah. It yeah. was the whole. It was a whole load of VRX stuff, and it was yeah. up the Alps. That was great. Um, so that was fun. Um, but yeah, been, been yeah, been interesting. But so what else have I shot that's been really, really fun? loads of things? And then we got into CGI, which was fun uh-huh. for a while, for about six or seven years. Um, we did a did a shoot. For, we, well, I mean, we closed. We've closed freeways in LA. Mm. Cool. We've closed a freeway for a shoot for Volvo in LA back in two thousand. We have had architects' houses and put cars in their living room. <laughs> we have. We had that was a laugh. And um, we closed for Cadillac. We closed. This, for everybody who's been to LA Airport and gone north on the four hundred five, we closed the tunnel coming out of LA Airport on a Sunday night wow. for eight hours. That was that was like saving saving Private Ryan. That was that was two lighting trucks, massive. We closed the downtown LA, um, had a hundred extras cool. on a shoot. 
two cranes, yeah, big budget stuff. Uh, mind you, closing the freeway is not cheap either. No. You know, so, um, but that was there back in the day of film, you know, when mm. you did, you couldn't look at a screen. Yeah. The person had to know that you could do it. Yeah. And you had to do it and you had to get it right, you know, because a Polaroid, if it wasn't, it's no good getting it on the Polaroid and not getting it on the film. Yeah. 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 So, you know, but yeah, we used to, you know, used to bugger off to the Sahara quite often or Namibia for two, three weeks, 2,000 sheets of film. Wow. And nobody really knows if you've got it. Yeah, of course. The only person who yeah. thinks they've got it and you know you've got it is when you get back and look at it in the lab. But what, 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 was there ever a point you did get back and you hadn't got it? Well, there was an interesting... Unfortunately, it was only in Dartford. Glorious Dartford. <laughs> <laughs> Dartford. Not quite Namibia. Not quite Namibia or anywhere. Yeah. But, you know, it's a backdrop. Uh, <laughs> it's a backdrop. We were doing a 96-sheet campaign for, um, um, for Vauxhall Vavaro Van. And it was quite entertaining. So we nip off to Dartford. It's a night shot. It's a bloke picking up some, some burgers from outside Burger King in his Vivaro van. Shot on 5.4. Excellent. So I used to basically turn it around and say 100 sheets per shot in advertising terms. So you've got 100 sheets. You can do your brackets. You just mm. bracket. Bloody yeah. old bracket. Oh, my goodness. So bracket it. 100 sheets. That would be it. Anyway, the art director said to me that we're really tight on time. We need these as quick as you can possibly get them to us. So I'm like, that's okay, that's fine. So um, we shot it in the evening. So we finished about one in the morning, straight up to clock. And well, Joe's basement, slapped the film in. Right, that's all right. Down for breakfast by the time we... Da, 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 da. And I start going through the film. I was like, that one's not shot. That one's not shot. That one's not shot. And now I'm starting to panic. Oh, yeah, of course. Because I've got some... If, because we do it in batches. Yeah. We used to do it in batches of five. So you've got 20 batches. And you pull a test sheet, process that test sheet... Yeah? yeah, to see what was what the what was going on, and then adjust the process yep. to either up, generally up the exposure or mm. brightness or whatever you wanted to do. You never could pull it backwards; it looks shit. Anyway, so on the twenty on the twenty um, test sheets that came out at like three in the morning, mm. I'm going, looking at that one's not sharp. Look at that's not sharp. Look at that's not sharp. So I'm like, oh, damn. Damn, damn, damn. I'm thinking I've got nothing sharp. There's something wrong. Yeah. There's, I've done something wrong here. I don't get it. I've done something wrong. So anyway, right, okay. So all I can do is put the, the other 96 sheets through and go, fingers crossed, let's see what gives here. Mm. Yeah, so I'm now bricking it because yeah. this is, A, we're late. Not we're not late, but it's they need it immediately, like mm. when they get in for breakfast in the morning. Yeah. And I went, right, okay, right, it's great. So don't to get the other 96 sheets out. Now, of 96 sheets, only four were sharp. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Wow. So, and I was like, now, what What it was was basically the Velvia 5.4 pressure plate. There's a pressure plate in the back of the slide holder, mm. and the pressure plate springs had gone. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. So, okay. so it wasn't holding it in register. So because your film focus, you go, your film only has to move a little bit and it's out of focus. Yep. Yeah. So you put your film in and it wasn't registering. But fortunately, four had fallen into the right register. Huh. <laughs> Four sheets. So I tipped up to the agency and said, look, I know, you're, I know you're tight for time. So what I've done <laughs> is I've gone through all the... These are the best four. Brilliant. Anyway, you're a genius. I haven't got time. So out of these four, which one would you have? Well, I'd go, I like the expression on that guy's face there. Brilliant. Excellent. We'll get it scanned. Wow. And Amazing. that was it. And off it went for a night six sheet post. <laughs> was I worried? Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean, there. so at what point did it go from film to digital? And did that make the job easier, harder, different? What happened then? Well, I, 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 I resisted digital, not 
I resisted digital commercially yeah. because my workflow was very much big rig, big production, big stuff. And most of my clients wanted that mm-hmm. because that was a process they understood. So I resisted till about 2006, mm-hmm. which oh, was wow, quite okay. late. Yeah, yeah. Really quite late. I mean, there's a lot of people who jumped on, on board earlier. Uh, but it was quite weird because I went from film in 2006 mm-hmm. to CGI. So you yeah, go so right huge, from, yeah. you skipped yeah. a whole chapter, haven't you? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went straight from that and right, okay, we're going to go CGI. Mm. We're going to need digital backs. We're going to need this. We're going to need that. And that's when I set up Air CGI and got into mm. CGI for eight, nine years, did mm. that. But um, yeah, so yeah, it was 2006 when I got out of, out of using film um, and the signals were consigned to the, to the, to the shelf, basically. Um, wow. Would I pull them out again? Uh I could. Would anybody want to pay for it? Could you get the film? You can't get Velvia 50 any longer. You know, it's all going to have to be black and white Polaroid. There's a certain, certain nice quality to it. Yeah. But, you know, when people ask for 30 or 40 shots, you know, it's not going to be done on the timescale that needs to be done in these days. No, that's it. That's it takes it. time, doesn't it? Yeah. And at what point with that digital transition, even, even though I guess so by the time you're getting into it, cameras have already advanced quite a lot since mm. the launch of it. We did a, I had a chat with... Keith Sutton, motorsport photographer for Sutton mm. Images, and he yeah, he was a very early adapter from memory, from what he was saying, very early adapter to digital, um, and and realising you know, he was spending an awful lot of money, disgraceful amount of money on quite early digital cameras, which then year on year on year were getting better and cheaper mm. as time went on. So for you in your time, would you say that was almost quite fortuitous timing that you probably got through that initial stage of very expensive and not as good and suddenly technology had improved? And Well, the, the, there used to be large format chips, which were yeah. obviously, you know, phase one and things like that. Mm. So you had your, your P101, which was whatever pix, megapixels it wasn't. Mm. Um, you used to scan a 5.4. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you used to get 100 meg off a of 5.4 scan. Right. Okay, so when you looked at even the early, you know, Nikon chips and things, you were three megapixels. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you go, all right, part of the reason I didn't change was when you've got a little 35 mil chip or in a, in a conventional body or even a Canon body, or they were the main players at the time, Nikon mm-hmm. and Canon had moved into that, you know, D1 era, shall we call it that. Yeah. They were three megapixels. And yeah. as you say, 18 months later, they were six megapixels. Yeah. You know, and somebody blowing yeah. six grand on, on a body. Yeah. And then 18 months later, that six grand had gone. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so it was when it started getting to 25 megapixels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for what we would use as billboard, potentially billboard or brochure work quality. It was never going to be three pixels. It was never going to be six pixels. Well, that's interesting. So even at the time that digital's being rolled out and a lot of people are shooting on digital, the billboard stuff for a period was still always film. Oh, yeah. Huh. Wow, right. Yeah, which is why that. I stuck with it. There, uh-huh. was, there was no reason until it got to 100 meg. Of course. I mean, well, it's only recently got to 100 meg in 35 mm. mil. Well, it yeah. hasn't got to 100 meg in 35 mil terms yet. Mm, mm. Um, you know, we're at 60 at the moment um, for most things. Um so, yeah, um, yeah, the medium format stuff, you know, the phase one cameras and the Hasselblads and all of those, mm. those kind of things. And now the Fujis are all come along nicely. Um, and now they're getting smaller and they're getting more megapixels and getting yeah. better. You yeah. know, there was lots yeah. of problems with the first chips. Yeah. You know, lots and lots of haloing and, you know, anti-aliasing and things and bits and pieces. So, you know, it was, it was, there was no reason to jump, you mm. know, when you could, you know, also as well. 
as soon as something became cheap to do, in other words, capture, mm-hmm. you became an asset collector. Yes. Rather than a photographer. And this is kind of the way the market's moved. You know, there's, there's a lot of people who asset collect and go out with, I need to get 100 shots or whatever. Yeah, of course. That's up to us. That's great. Do it. Carry on. But our, our, our workflow has always been off the specific, mm. especially for campaign work, because it yeah. has to be. Yeah, of course. You know that, but, you know, it's, it's specific. So, yeah, um, yeah. so I, res- I didn't resist. I didn't have to resist, mm. you know. But when I got into CGI and, and got the guys in and did set up the head of CGI and things, it, uh, it was just a natural transition. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to do environment captures that were digital. You know, there was the backs that were digital. Um, and so, yeah, just, there we go. Let's go. Let's what, get it done. What do you shoot on now, then? A Sony. Oh, really? Ah. Yeah. Yes. It was quite funny because, you know, John Bentley. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah you, Amy, you, you know John yes. Bentley. <laughs> it's, it's very hard not yeah. to talk about John Bentley to a John Bentley impression. <laughs> yes. But yes, yeah, John Bentley, who, who I am desperately trying to get on the podcast. He's lovely. Because uh, oh, he's got some he's amazing so nice. stories. I know he has. I have yeah. bumped into John a couple of times at some shows and um, he listened to a couple of our episodes, um, namely the Richard Porter episode, which, mm-hmm. of course, John featured heavily in that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Richard Porter joined Top Gear when John Bentley was still there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He also did a very good John Bentley impression. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so sorry, yeah, John Bentley. Yeah. It was John's fault. Right. I got into Sony's because I was Canon. Uh-huh. I was Canon, 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 Canon through and through. Yeah, so I, naturally I should have gone straight to Canon. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I didn't. But anyway, John Fowler. Hmm, hmm. I've done John Fowler. <laughs> hmm, hmm. Nigel. Hmm. Nigel. Hmm. This, 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 this sort of you know uh, full full frame sort of mirrorless thing. What do you think? I'm like, yeah. What about it? I'm like, because I hadn't even looked at it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was all sort of Canon, which was mirrors and good to you know yeah. clanking and whirring and all yeah. that sort of stuff. I'm like, well, I haven't really. Said, well, hmm, do you fancy um, doing something on hmm, you know, this thing called the gadget show? I'm like, yeah, all right then. <laughs> so anyway, so he got me on the gadget show talking yeah. about mirrorless cameras, and it was uh, his fault that I got into Sony because yeah. he came along with a load of little bits and pieces, and he brought an A6000 with him, which is a tiny little pop, what they call pocketable mm. cameras. Yeah, it? it's like, and he brought that along. And he said, well, hmm, what do you think of this? Hmm, hmm, hmm. I'm like, right, okay, then we'll stick that on the rig because we had a little rig uh-huh. attached to. One of Martin Stretton's yeah. customers, Cobras. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, and we, we whizzed it. We didn't exactly whiz it up with a rig on. You roll it at walking pace. <laughs> yep. So we did some rig shots with, with this certain thing. Well, that's not so bad. That'll do. Yeah, right. So that's how I got into Sony's. Huh. And I've stuck with them. Yeah. I'm glad I have, really. But yeah. anyway. Where do you see the future of automotive photography going, especially in commercial kind of campaign stuff? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting, really, because... Um, Historically, everybody said car photography would die when CGI came in. Yeah, oh, that's I, interesting. Yeah. yeah, you did hear that a lot. Even, yeah. even now, you still hear it, and mm. I, I just don't see it. I mean, personally, I don't ever see it actually happening. But I can see. I mean, I, I can envision as a complete out, outlier here. I can imagine it on things like static billboard shoots. You know, we mentioned before we started recording, you did the Ford Edge shoot, that was in CGI. I can kind of see that. But if you want to capture, capture a car in an environment of it being a car mm-hmm. moving in a city or something like that, to me, it would always make sense to have it as a, a photograph rather than... Well, I, th- I think the... Um, and this is, this is the kind of thing that, that we found when we started. It became very prescriptive. Mm. And because it was pressing of buttons, it could be asked to press a button again. Yes. And yeah, press it back again. Of course, yeah. And um, it, it's fine. That's all cool. It's all good. We, we do it now. Is it going to be the car photography as we know? No. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm currently um, 
talking to Genesis, Rolls-Royce, mm. and also Hyundai for January mm-hmm. about doing conventional photography. Mm. You know, and why do they want conventional photography? Yeah. They want conventional photography because there's happy accidents. Yeah. Yes. yes. There's yes. stuff yes. that you see that you can react to. Um, you would think, you know, Hyundai with all their new electric vehicles and things, can they render something? Of course they can render something. Yeah, yeah. Can they make, can they do it themselves? Of course they can do it themselves. Yeah. Can it look great? Of course it can look great. But ultimately it's a bit like saying to yourself, I tell you what, it'd be really good if we had a CGI, for example, Rolls Royce don't do CGI images. Mm. You know, they produce a hand-built product. You know, they do a hand-built this and they do a hand-built that and a hand-built product. And we then go and photograph those nice little details Great. that have been done and touched and made mm-hmm. into a Rolls-Royce. Bentley do the same. They have their configurators, yeah, which yeah. look great for configurators. Yeah. They could take that up another notch mm. and take it on to doing the, the campaign stuff. They could. But they choose not to yeah. because they produce a hand-built product. Yeah. You know, and if it's hand-built, then why do you want to render of it? Yeah. You know, why not photograph the hand-built product? Try and convey that feeling, that love. And it's kind of why, probably why Hyundai don't do it. And, you know, other other big car brands do what they do, and that's all good for them. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you know, I'm still glad people are wanting us to travel halfway around the world and photograph things. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Well, we had an interesting, just thinking about your question there, Amy, about the future of photography. We... Nigel and I were supposed to be recording this conversation <laughs> last week. Um, however, that didn't end up happening because Nigel very kindly invited me down to uh, the Arai Studios in West London, uh, where you were doing a test shoot for um, some ideas you're hoping to, to shoot commercially. And that was in an environment where you had a real car, your car, mm. a uh, Honda NSX, in the wonderful... Now, I guess we have to describe this for our listeners that wouldn't be aware of um, the, the Arrow Studios. But essentially, and I got told off for saying this in the studio, the kind of thing that they shot the Mandalorian on. <laughs> because, of course, every single person in the world, as soon as you say that, they go, oh, yeah, the big screen studio thing. So it was a 12K screen, LED screen, which is essentially an enormous television that wraps around in a big semicircle. And then on the mirror side of that, 12k screen it was a 4k mm-hmm. so you've got 4k one side 12k one side which means essentially you can put a subject in the middle of this huge circle and if you follow us on our um, instagram feed you will have seen a photo of this you can scroll back through the previous photos you'll see bright yellow nsx in the middle of this semicircle surrounded by screens now in that environment you have a physical object the car and you're suddenly able to put that car anywhere in the world and I experienced that for the first time with my own eyes. And because I got so utterly distracted and enamoured by this process, we didn't record our podcast. But it worked out for the better because, of course, I wanted Amy to be present as the photographer to talk to the photographer. And I'm so glad we did because, of course, that makes perfect sense. But let's talk about that side of the future because that is huge, isn't it? I mean, we, we used, used a few examples whilst talking to the DOP on that day, Director of Photography that you know certain campaigns that people would have seen both automotive and non-automotive johnny depp for example standing in a desert to advertise some aftershave that is in one of those big led studios shock he wasn't in the desert Uh, a lot of volvo campaigns i think we spoke about are shot seemingly in the desert but they're not they're actually in a room with some sand thrown down on the floor and a screen showing a desert behind 
Um, do you think this is going to be a new, a very much a, a kind of new standard format for photography, simply for the, for the ease that the car is in one location with a, a bit of programming on Unreal Engine or other design platforms, you can make the car look like it's anywhere, but at the same time, give an overall image that you're actually on the other side of the world. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it's more relevant to moving. Okay. imagery rather than stills um, it does work for stills and it has worked very successfully for stills but I think the 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 real winner there is in the moving environment mm -hmm. yeah um, simply because the technology is just mind-blowing you know you move a camera with these these little white balls on it and the background moves in total perfect parallax yeah, yeah. which is what we were testing last week was to take um, can we get real world lights in the studio then to parallax with virtual lights on the background mm -hmm. Um, and you have all these cameras that are around that are basically tracking the camera moves, mm. and then it moves the background in parallax to that, yeah. and it works. It does work. And well, I was, I was shocked. But yeah, is it going to be for stills? There's a there's a there's there's a certain look to it that stills you either buy into. It's a certain look to CGI that you buy into it, and you have to not compare it. Yes. To what you possibly would get in the real world, mm. it has its own thing that it that it looks good at and does well um, yeah. um i think yeah i think uh, more people will be using it i think it'll be more about you know thing it's our real product in a virtual environment should we call it that mm, mm. and so therefore you know i mean ultimately when it gets down to it isn't it i mean advertising do you want do you want to see something that is a, a render because if you're trying to sell a dream and you know it's all rendered then where's the premise for the advert? Yeah, mm. no, I to totally agree. The, the amount of things that, like, um, if, if you're going to try and... Uh, that's the thing. People are so aware now of being sold things that mm. it's not like you can just be like, you should buy this because it's amazing. You you mm. are selling the thought of you can have this life more yeah. than anything. So, yeah, the minute that you kind of say, you can have this life, we, we didn't actually do that, but you could maybe do mm. this if you want. It almost feels, again, you feel like, well, I'd feel like you're, you're being sold a lie almost because yeah. like, you've not been there. You've not done this. And so... Yeah. Why should I trust you? Why should I trust your product, etc., etc.? So, yeah. Yeah. I think for me, yeah, like I wouldn't ever, I don't know, say you want to get some, I don't know, hiking equipment or something, except they've got into like a film studio and they're pretending to go climbing. Yes. I'm like, no, I want to see this real world experience and yeah. I want to know that I can actually trust what I'm purchasing. Mm. So, I think, yeah, there's mm. something about going to the real world and because you, I think you, I don't know, CGI is, is um, incredible and you know, you, you, there's a good chance you'll never know that it wasn't actually there, but at yeah. the same time, you find out and it's not like it's yeah. uh you know you see behind the scenes or whatever and i just think yeah it's in terms of a, an honesty i think putting the the product in the actual environments is something yeah. really important from a consumer mm. point of view not yeah. just from an advertising point yeah, of view yeah that's a very good point it's a very yeah, good point i wonder if if i wonder if that's you know i think we or the three of us certainly you two more than me would look at that world in that genuine validity as you say you know i i want to know that as a photographer that if I was photographing climbing boots and it was turned out it was filmed in Uxbridge, <laughs> you know, in a warehouse, essentially. Not the north face of the island. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it is perhaps, you know, a, a bit of a, you might feel a bit cheated, but then does the consumer care? You know, is the consumer that flicks through the magazine mm. yeah. that's looking through their, their climbing magazine and they flick through 100 pages of 300 and look at five adverts out of those five they go hang hang on a, hang on a minute that's not a real rock yeah, or, yeah, yeah. you know it's a, it's it's a difficult one I like the idea you know I, I'm certainly arguing your case I like the idea that 
there will always be this genuine side to what we're seeing. And, yeah. and you know, cars is a perfect example, especially if a car manufacturer is spending a billion pounds engineering a car in R&D to be the best driver's car ever, then you find out that it's been photographed, filmed and, and advertised from a dark warehouse in Uxbridge. It <laughs> yeah. doesn't, doesn't quite uh, fulfil the dream, does it? No. no it works works well for moving, yeah, I think. Yeah. I think, but, you know, if there is such a thing as magazine work any longer or, or well, ad work, yeah, you know, yeah. there's another whole topic of conversation, you mm. know, the, the magazine sales, you know, you look at how they've plummeted, especially over COVID and stuff. Yeah. You know, you know, there's a whole new conversation there and, you know, where do people look and, mm. you know, does five seconds on a on a swipe mean anything these days? Mm, you know, yeah. and you got there's a whole raft of topics and conversations that will probably only really be known in ten, five, ten years time. Yeah, well, that was one yeah. of the things I wanted to ask really, as as somebody that has you've been through the two main chapters of photography so far, your film and then the transition into digital. Mm. I know a lot of photographers. We've interviewed Amy and I've interviewed photographers. Um, closer to our generation and younger who have only they've only shot on digital they've never commercially well, yeah, I've only ever shot on digital only well, there we yeah. are yeah so that the idea that um you know you could talk to a professional photographer like you Amy Shaw and say you know can you go and film a com- or, or shoot a commercial shoot on film it might be like a Ooh. absolutely not yeah no I would say I'm not, I'm not go and talk to Nigel <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I know a guy I know a guy they'd be much better at this than me yeah um, I don't know if people are pressure could take it these days <laughs> <laughs> but I'd love to know um you know with that in mind there is there is still going to be more generations of photographers out there what does the future look like in your and it doesn't matter if you don't know but what where do you think we're heading what do you well, think the difference now, as a commercial photographer right now, the conversations you're having with the likes of Hyundai right now, how might that differ in another 10, maybe even 20 years from now? Well, I think the, the, obviously AI now. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. everyone's oh, jumping gosh, up and yeah. down about AI like this, you know, this year. And it's, it's, it's interesting. It is what it is. Will everybody's images look the same? Yes, they will. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we if we look historically back, if you if you look at the process years ago, pre-internet, goodness me, doesn't that make you shiver? <laughs> <laughs> pre pre ninety six, gathering of information was really really difficult, mm-hmm. really difficult. Photographers to get their work out there had to have a workflow. There were things called art buyers, yeah. you know, all of those. There was a there was a, a stream of stuff, and as soon as creative directors and art directors didn't need art buyers, they could go on this thing called the internet. And just do Google searches, and, and and or even back in the day, Ultra Vista was a search engine as well, wasn't it? If I remember correctly, yeah, yeah. there were other ones as Yahoo as well. Yeah, anyway, all of those, all <laughs> those not, other ones. Ask, let's not forget Ask, Ask Jeeves. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but then, as soon as that information became widespread, yeah. then um, it was easy to get information. Mm. You know, how has that changed everything? It was changed everything. Yeah, it's changed absolutely everything. The digital thing has changed everything. It doesn't cost anything to shoot for, to shoot images these days. Mm. Um, the way in which AI and CGI has come and is has its own place, it, it does have a place. Mm. Did it trend? Did it did it stop the conventional way of doing things? No, it didn't. Mm. You know, ultimately, you know, um, there is a there is a natural um, workflow that works. We may be shooting more. But there's a workflow that, that people work to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why people like Hyundai, Rolls-Royce, Genesis and various other car companies have a workflow. Yeah. Whether they want to go the CG route, that has a different workflow. Do they like that workflow? Some of them might. Yeah. Will people like the AI workflow? 
they might. But generally, since the advent of um, the internet, should we call it that, things are looking very similar. Mm. I mean, you know, you can put a photograph up. Um, you used to have portfolios. I used to have 16 of them. Yeah. <laughs> 16 metal cases with 16 portfolios. I had three in LA, I had three in Detroit, three in Paris, wow. yeah, three in London, I had two myself, or whatever it was, something like that. Um, I wanted to cut them out something. Um, and they were the only, the only people who'd see those images of the art buyers and the art directors. Mm. Yeah. So that would be the only place. But you put something on the internet these days, and I'm sure you you know as well, Amy, you know, you put something on and go, oh, that looks very similar to something I shot. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, and it happens all the time. And that's that's yeah. the internet for you because you do something you do something great and somebody goes, Oh, I could I will make that my own but in my own way, but it looks very similar. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, but it isn't different enough. Yeah. And so there's a lot of stuff there on the internet. Car adverts that mm. become a, you know, go and rent yourself a crane and drive down the road really fast, you know, and do a swipe around a car, you know. I won't mention any car brands or people who do that, but they do look very similar. Yeah. yeah. There's so many, you know, uh, top gear wannabes. Oh, gosh, yeah. 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 You know, and there's lots of them. And they're all producing stuff that Top Gear would have been happy to produce back in the 90s. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know? Do you think that's from a creative's kind of like looking on the internet at other creatives? Or do you think it's the way that advertising budgets have been cut and the control that the client now has on the outcome? Like, I find that if I'm getting asked to do things, it's all very much... There's no... Um, there's no guts to try and do anything different anymore. It's all kind of like, no, we've got to be safe. safe. But yeah. yeah, it's for every... I don't know if it's trying to cut budgets so you can have one image that stretches all over the globe for mm. whatever, mm-hmm. you know, cultures might be. You couldn't have certain um, images in, in one country and, and, and it, they wouldn't work in another country. Maybe, maybe it was a British joke. It wouldn't work anywhere else. In, you know, wouldn't, mm-hmm. Americans might not have got sarcasm as much as the Brits get the sarcasm. Yeah. Whatever, you end up having to stay very similar and do you think it's so yeah my question i suppose is do you think that the, everything kind of looking a bit more samey is from a creative point of view or from a client point of view it's there's a lot of reasons um the the downward drive on budget mm. has always been uh you know you can only be as creative if you've got five pounds to spend <laughs> and there is an argument you know you can be creative with five pounds of course you can be yeah. um but ultimately, if you want a herd of buffalo in the middle of Utah, at the top of, you know, wherever, mm-hmm. you can see Jylan these days, you can yeah. do it this way, you can do it that way. But you enter into a workflow which have parameters, yeah. you know, um, and then they end up being feeling like they're CGI images or they're this yeah, and the other. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the... The, I'm optimistic about it. I like, you know, I, otherwise I wouldn't do it anymore. You yeah. know, I, I love, I love the process. You know, and I love the the creative process. Um, are they all looking similar? Yeah, because of the budgets. Mm. You know, budgets are very similar. You know, I could, I, I could, like, I'm not going to tell you, but I could tell you if somebody says I've got a magic car launch, I know exactly how much they've probably got in their back pocket mm. before they even, you know, and yeah. then you get the other other end of things where you get agencies phone up and say. You know, I've I've got this great concept, and you there's all this concept, and you say, okay, I want fifty shots, yeah, and um, we've got two days in the studio. Yeah. Mm. My attitude to that is, well, get your iPhone out and uh, show me the results. Yeah, yeah, because you know, and that, that they pre- some premium brands have said that to me in the past, and I won't go near it because you can't craft what's on the website in 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 two days. If you want fifty shots, yeah. find somebody else to do the fifty shots in a yeah. car mm. studio. 
you want to show texture, you want to show quality. You, I mean, the old the old joke was, you know, everything was um, it was an old old saying from years ago. Premium and was it dual like and premium? How many times did I hear that in creative meetings <laughs> from clients mainly? You know, uh, oh, it's got to look dual like and premium. And you go, oh, not again, what? You know, and that was everything mm. that everybody was after. Yeah, but why not? Yeah, you've yeah. got you've produced a lovely product. It's got quality to it. So, you know, let's make it look as nice as it possibly can. Mm. Yeah. You know, show the textures, show the quality. Show. Um, so th- if people still want to do that, I still think it's got legs. Yes. Yeah. I'd like yeah. to think so too. What about the accessibility of, you know, cameras now? If you've, got, if you've got five grand in your pocket, you can go and get yourself a really decent camera and a decent lens. You know, we're not talking the best of the best, but that will get you now a good bit of kit. And I've spoken to a lot of photographer friends of mine and in fact I've seen it from both sides of the coin the kind of more traditional photographers that have they, they put their legwork in they've studied they've been having you know, they've had a career for a couple of generations and then suddenly anybody now with a bit of money in their pocket can go and buy a very decent camera some very good editing software and could potentially go and undercut them as a professional by talking to a big OEM or you know not even necessarily a car manufacturer but any any brand that's looking to advertise and go well I can shoot that for half the price do you think that will ever balance out again? I guess this is a question for both of you because your both your craft is fantastic and you're both known for your photography style. And sometimes I often think, well, you know, that's all very well and good. You can get your matey boy from down the road to do it for half the price, but is it ever going to have that character feature, that style that you're renowned for? Do you think that will ever cease, or do you think that's now going to be a an issue for professionals like you for many years to come? Um. I think it's tough. I think it's very tough for people who are starting out. Mm. And there's two reasons it's tough for people who are starting out. Um, and it's because of exactly what you've said. Mm. You know, you can get yourself a piece of kit mm. and you have the amateurs um, in the marketplace who, um, I mean, the worst cut, I mean, I'm just thinking this freestyle. I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is basically you'll get an amateur who will send their picture into the BBC and be weather watcher of the day and do it for a credit. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Now that undermines the whole business model. Mm. Yeah, the amateur who turns around and says, I'll do it for the credit, mm. you know, because as soon as you enter into that business model, or doing it for exposure or doing it for likes yes, yes. rather than being someone coming to you and saying, you're adding value to my process. So therefore mm. I will pay you. I don't know whether the BBC pay people to do the weather watcher thing. No, probably not, <laughs> you know, but it's look, mum, I've got my name on the telly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that yeah. runs across the whole of the social, social media field. Mm. So yeah. if you're wanting to start out and be a photographer who gets paid and taken seriously, it's tough because the conversation is I can do it for less. I can do it for less. Why does it cost this much? Mm. Well, it does. Um, and it only costs stuff because effectively the people who want something done, premium car brands generally, you want to do it and make sure they get a guaranteed result. Yeah. Because you, as you say, they, they spend hundreds of millions of pounds, billions of pounds producing cars mm-hmm. and they want to show it off in their best light. They're not really interested. Uh, they are interested because you have the, the bean counters. But, um, yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a great TED Talk by a guy called Rory Sutherland. You should look him up. He's hilarious, absolutely hilarious. Um, behavioural economics. 
Yeah. Okay, yeah. Br- brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And he does lots and lots of TED Talks. And I'm going a bit left field here. Mm. But he, one of his, his favourite sayings is when he's in a, you know, a PPM meeting or a creative meeting and, and somebody walks in with a spreadsheet, the creators have lost. <laughs> yes. And that, and that, that yeah, yeah, there's nothing, true. you know, as yeah. soon as somebody starts putting it on a spreadsheet, the creative has lost the yeah, game. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You know, so um, he also did a, did, a, did a great chat about how to make things better on the train. He said, don't make trains faster. He said, you know, it will cost you 10 billion to make that train faster, or it's now going to cost 100 billion for that one up to Birmingham. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said, people don't really give a monkey's if it's 15 minutes faster. He said, fill it full of supermodels and give free champagne away, and you'll have the trains full. Yeah. Right, yeah. It doesn't matter. And it was, and he does a whole load of talks. So if, you, yeah. if you've, got, you've yeah. got a little while, look up, look up Roy Southern. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's an advertising guru, basically. Yeah. He, used to, he used to work for o, O&M, I think it was. Uh, is he vice president? Oh, anyway. So, yeah, no, really good guy. But, yeah, so... Um, Back to back to the question: um, Will it change? It's tough for the young people. Will will I carry on doing what I'm doing? Probably because I've been doing it so long. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the high end, I not like the Genesis thing. I just did in Korea was on a basis that I'd done something ten years ago. Wow. You know, and when yeah. when it comes down to it, high I asked me to sign the billboards. My faces on billboards in Korea and things, mm-hmm. along with the shots that we'd taken, and they wow. used me as part of their marketing cool. material to get the car out there. It was what was it? Was it the I can't remember which car it was, but I was surprised at the quality of it. Mm. You know, I was I was shooting Jaguar at the time. I just finished in Beirut shooting Jaguar, and then I was going to the States and shoot some um, some Hyundai. And I was like Hyundai, <laughs> really? And then they showed me this car, and I was in Dallas, and I was like, wow, wow, yeah. You know, and how much is this car? No. So I was really quite surprised what they were producing back 10 years ago. Wow. And so then when they phoned up and said, you want to do some Genesis work, which is the high end of high end. Of course, like, yeah, yeah. You know, they were, I was like, yeah, all in. Great. So, yeah, but, you know. So I don't think it'll change um, because there's systems and processes. You know, there's yeah. tick boxes, there's, okay, bean counters, we, we understand what their role is. Mm. Um, generally, there wasn't bean counters back in the day. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, when you think of some of the great ads, you know, like the... the, the, the um, the uh, Guinness hats. Let's yeah. go for those. Oh, yes, yeah. fantastic! Incredible, yeah. absolutely. Like yeah. the one I always remember is the the one where they everybody learnt how to speak backwards or something like oh, that. Do you yeah. remember that one? I do, do you know I've got a strange link to the Guinness advert. So um, it's a chap called Mike Jeffries, who I think was the one of the big campaign managers for the iconic one of the way the white horses jumping through the waves. Oh, oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's the one. Yeah, Mike yeah. was married to. A, a girl I used to work with, and yeah, so that there's that link. But yeah, those adverts are still quoted to this day. Yeah, you know, the iconic, the, the memory of them, memory, of, and the yeah. money involved in those things. Yeah, oh, and yeah. the time and the the, the 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 thought processes. You know, people aren't given that time these days. Yeah. No, people no. aren't given that money these days. Yeah. So yeah. are those ads ever going to appear again? Yeah, I think they will. I hope so. I think we're going to. Mm. I, I'm hoping that we're going through a dip now, and then there's going to be the odd person that's going to just put a little bit more cash into it, and everyone's going to talk about yeah. it. And then mm. it's, it'll, and well, it's it's still you know there are certain adverts, aren't there? You know, John Lewis, of course. Christmas every ads, year yeah, doing yeah. the Christmas ad. We at the time of recording this, we're we're close to Christmas. So of course, every supermarket is now kind of jumping on this. Let's try and outdo the John Lewis <laughs> ad. And, um, yeah, yeah, there are. I think there will always be certain things we look for. Uh, you know, I love the idea that the day the John Lewis advert comes out and it's publicised on the television, it's also the day that John Lewis put it on their YouTube channel, and they're paying eye-watering amounts of money. I'm sure. Yeah, I, th- I think we're into now twenty million pounds per campaign wow. per advert that they're shooting. Yeah. But on the day that it goes out, so that's twenty million pounds to create the advert. Then they're paying to have it placed on the prime time on ITV and Channel Four, uh, and the, the Sky channels. 
But on that one day, once they've spent that 20 million on the ad, creating the advert, plus probably another 5 million on placement, they get something like two and a half million views on their YouTube channel. Like that, instantly, yeah. day yeah. one. People are yeah. choosing to yeah. watch the adverts. They're going out of their way to do the thing that we usually go, oh, the adverts are on, I'll put the kettle on. Yeah. Or I'll, I'll go and you know, feed the dog or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's just what we do. So I do think there will always be those features. But I do think, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting transitional time where there's lots of different factors that make it both a lot easier for certain people and a hell of a lot harder for others. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see what happens. See what works out. I mean, yeah, it's tough. It's tough out there. You know, it's... Um, and if you're trying to start out, you know, I do have people phone up quite regularly, what shall I do next, you know? Mm. But no, I think it's tough. It's tough. There's, there's too many photographers, yeah. especially wanting to be something. Yeah. There's a lot of um, amateurs out there who will do it for a credit. Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a tough market to get into. Mm. I'm I'm to be honest, I'm glad where I am where I am. Yeah. Because I've gone through the the heyday of car photography. Yeah. I think to be honest, you know, we did um, we had a classic laugh. This was it was uh, uh, down on down on the um, dry lake bed where Campbell did one of his speed tests in South Africa mm. back in the early two thousands. It was blindingly excellent. They put up a tented village. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, there was 100 people on the job. We had a tented village. <laughs> cool. And it was just fantastic fun. And it was like fighting gods with Mercedes. Look it up. It's a classic yeah, old ad. Yeah. And this guy's handbraking and things. And, and there's dust and there's two gods and clouds and the yeah, rain comes down. It. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, we were on that one. And there was a big firework display at the end of the job. But that was quite <laughs> funny because it hadn't rained there for years. And we're in the middle of this dry lake bed, miles away from any road. It starts to rain. Ha. Huh. And we couldn't move for three days. Oh, wow. Because wow. you came out your tent. That was all had individual tents and things. Came out your tent and it was like slurry. Wow. And it was, just couldn't move. <laughs> Someone shouts, head for high ground in the middle of the night. It's like, oh, that's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was... No, so yeah, advertising, I think, you know, you'll, you'll get the big budget still. I think you'll definitely get the big... Well, I say big budgets. You'll get a budget to do something nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the big budgets like we used to get. Mm. Um... But, you know, we'll see what happens. But it's been fun. It's been entertaining. Had some laughs. Yeah. It's been and good. it's not over yet. Oh, <laughs> you know. But you know, somebody said to me, somebody said to me, he said, um, yeah, when are you going to stop doing this? I said, I, I said, you know, I said, I said, when people stop calling me. You're too wrong. Yeah, you know. Absolutely. I said, you know, you know, why do I want to retire out of doing this? Yeah, you know, I love it. You know, why wouldn't I want to go to, and you know, meet people and, mm. and photograph nice cars and stuff and yeah. just... You know, and, and spend a couple of weeks here and a couple of weeks there doing stuff, and that's brilliant, brilliant yeah. job. Is it still just cars, or is it back to your original interest in motorbikes? Do you ever do bike stuff? Do you ever do anything that's nothing automotive related at all, or but boats, I guess, or trains? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I've done some stuff for Royal Enfield. You've done some stuff yep. for Royal, you know, Mark, and, and yeah. But um, I regularly go for rides with Steve. Steve the engine destroyer, but don't put that in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I lent him one of my bikes. Have you ever met Steve? No, I've not met Steve. Okay, Steve. I was Everett. in India with Mark, but no, I've not met Steve. Okay, and Anor and all the rest of them. But yeah, I, I, I do that. That was quite entertaining, actually. There was um, uh, Sid, Sid Lau, who owns the company. Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 I've yeah, met Sid, yeah. Um, they've got some bikes. They knew, was it the Continental? Was it that? that not the Continental. Oh, the Interceptor. Interceptor. Yeah. Interceptor. Yeah. And they got um, Freddie Spencer to come over. Uh-huh. So I get a phone call from Mark, so an old or in India, and saying, can you, can you come over to the Isle of Man? Can you bring some cameras to the Isle of Man? I'm like, oh, I'll come. That's fine. So hey, Freddie Spencer turns up. And all it is is I am there just to film Sid 
basically. <laughs> Anor, not Anor, because Anor wasn't riding. Freddie Spencer uh, screaming around the Isle of Man. <laughs> we had such a laugh. <laughs> Freddie Spencer can talk, I tell you. But no, it's good. But yeah, some motorbikes, yeah, I do motorbikes. So I've done a lot of Triumph stuff. I, yeah, I doubt I'll be doing much more Triumph stuff because they've now got another agency involved. Yeah. And as I said earlier, when things move on, they move on. Yeah. You know, so they've got a new agency involved. Um, so yeah, Royal Enfield and Triumph been for like four or five years doing that sort of stuff so yeah it's great but um yeah i love my bikes yeah yeah gonna put that one back together you saw earlier on <laughs> yes yeah. get the carburetors working get the carburetor work. yeah, yeah. <laughs> bloody things <laughs> carburetors love them absolutely love them but yeah i'll be there squirting air through them but yeah gonna be gonna be doing sand raiders next year so that'll be a laugh amazing yes. yeah so you should come on that with us john i know we spoke about this last week didn't we it's a possibility we shall see we shall see get yourself on it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that would be fun that yeah be just fun. come out from marrakesh out through air food was it that yeah into the desert yeah, yeah. brilliant yeah Watch this space. Watch this space. <laughs> I've pledged lots of exciting things next year, and I'm like, it's other things are cropping up. Go, yeah, I'll do that definitely. I'm like, oh god, can I do that? Have I got time to do that? <laughs> we should do it. Yeah, yeah. We'll Come see. on, we shall see. I'll twist his arm. <laughs> <laughs> the arm is easy to it, twist. It? It's the it's the, the many thousands of pounds needed to to take part that's holding me back. But we'll yeah. see. We'll see. It's not cheap. No, no that's no. that's for sure. But yeah, it's all good. It's yeah. all good. Perfect. Well, this has been a. A great insight. I'm so glad we've finally been able to have this conversation. And I know, really, that we've probably only scratched the surface with regards to stories and experiences and other things that we can talk about. But we make a habit of uh, return visits on this podcast. It's okay. not, you know, once, you visit, once you've been on, that's it, you're done. Tick him <laughs> off the list, throw that in the recycling bin. Um, so, you know, I'm sure, as, as our paths do, we cross uh, frequently. So no doubt we'll bump into each other yeah. again in the not-too-distant future and we'll yeah. be able to continue conversations or perhaps get an involvement a bit like what we had aspired to do last week in an amazing studio and then just got so distracted by the brilliance of it all just went oh we'll do this next week when Amy's free let's not we didn't even get the microphones out of the car no we didn't (laughs) we left it in the car and just thought this is brilliant let's watch this this is great and that's exactly what we did but you're going back there aren't you uh yes that's the plan yes so uh January at some point I need to etch this into your diary as well Amy the opportunity to go and experience these studios uh, and to kind of showcase what they're able to do mm. to an audience that might have never seen them before or might have not, not have realised they've seen them before. So yeah. that's as vague as I can make it for you, dear listener. Keep an eye on our social feeds to find out more as and when. But yes, there is a plan to go and showcase this stuff with a very bizarre video, nothing like we've ever shot before. <laughs> that's what we're aiming for. That's an understatement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Nigel, thank you. It's been um, fascinating to My pleasure. learn more about your world and, and, and hear about the way you think. It's been, been great. And no doubt, as I say, we shall see you again soon. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks for coming over. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, wow. 
you've made it to the end. The very end. And it's John Markar here again, reminding you that this podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now run its course and has come to an end. To find the new format, search the Driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps. Thanks. Bye.